Thanks, Daniel. If, uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Taylor Leachman. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries uh, here at Christ the King. It's good to be together with you all this morning. This is a, a special morning. Um, I don't know how many of y'all know, we, my wife and I have actually known the Traps for probably about 20 years. I guess it's close to that at this point when they were, uh, we both went to college together. Um, John and I are in a select amazing company of about 10 dudes who ever graduated from Redeemer Seminary. Uh, We went to seminary together and it's a joy to be able to share God's word with you all this morning on on the day that they come and are uh, are present. And so um, uh, it's, it's, it's a joy. Thank you all for being here and thank you all uh, for opening the word together with me. And so we're going to today look at Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, and if you all can, go ahead and turn with me now in the Black Bibles in front of you or we have it on the screen as well. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we consider it together. Lord, would you grant us wisdom? Would you grant us eyes to see and ears to hear? And would you grant that we would see the object of our faith more clearly? That Jesus might become more beautiful to us and that we might become more like him. We pray all of this in Jesus' name by the Spirit. Amen. Um, In the last five to 10 years, uh, there's been sort of a new research on what has made people successful. Um, And maybe we've thought in the past, you know, it's our abilities or our intelligence or where you've born uh, that makes people more successful than others. But Stanford psychologist Carol Dweck about 10 years ago argues that much of success can be attributed to whether or not people have what she calls a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. Some of y'all may be familiar with these terms. They're uh, kind of all the rage right now, particularly in educational circles because of this study. Um, A fixed mindset believes that our creativity, our intelligence, our abilities, all of these things are static, right? I was born with this level of intelligence and, uh, and that determines my success and my failures. And one of the challenges of that is that when you fail, you kind of don't really know how to deal with it as well, right? Because there's no opportunity for growth or things along those lines. And in our particularly West Houston culture where there's quite a bit of ability and quite a bit of intelligence, this can be a challenging mindset if we have it and and, uh, approach the culture in such a way. A growth mindset, on the other hand, loves challenge. Right? They see failure as an opportunity for growth. We probably all want to say that we have a growth mindset, right? As I describe it that way, we're all like, yeah, okay, I'm probably more in the growth mindset um, uh, category. But are you really? Are you static in your way of understanding yourself, believing that 
you know, kind of you are who you are and that's just it? Or are you coachable? Are you able to grow? Our passage this morning deals with wisdom and it doesn't do so in a static sort of way. Right? It takes what Dr. Dweck says about success and it places it properly in relationship to God. Are we foolish in that we despise wisdom and instruction because we believe ourselves to be right in our own eyes because we're statically brilliant, so to speak? Or are we actually wise as we long to increase in understanding? Well, the last year and a half has given us ample opportunity uh, to, to test ourselves in terms of challenge and failure. I would imagine that many of you have been or are struggling with all sorts of different failures, but how are you responding to those? Are you beating yourself up for them? Are you saying, that's, that's their fault, right? I've got one or two people in mind, it's actually them that has caused this sort of failure. Or are you seeking to learn, to grow, and to be wise? And with that question in mind, I want for us to look more deeply at our passage this morning. I want for us to be a people of godly wisdom who see the challenges that we've gone through this last year and become more godly and Christ-like as a result. And so we're gonna look at our passage kind of by way of comparison. We're gonna look at what it means to be foolish and what it means to be wise. And so first, we're gonna look at what it means to be foolish. And second, we're gonna look at what it means to be wise. So let's first look at foolishness and that foolishness actually comes from our own self-wisdom. Our passage ends with this particularly challenging word, right? It says fool. We don't use that word very often. And if we do, um, it's usually pretty insulting or we kind of put it in the category of of a clown, so to speak. So what does it mean to be a fool? One good definition that I've heard is that a fool is someone who is often wrong, but never in doubt, right? Maybe y'all have heard that definition as well, and maybe you're thinking, I know somebody like that, right? But most of us have this view that maybe a fool is something a little bit different. A fool may be somebody who's unintelligent or, or who's overly silly, but the Bible, the Bible is more comprehensive than that. The Bible says that a fool is something different. We don't get to escape the challenge of Scripture by believing that, that a fool is just some of those like unintelligent or silly people. I'm serious and I'm intelligent and everything's all good. No, a fool throughout Proverbs is someone who despises or even disdains instruction. A fool believes that he or she is right. And therefore, there's no need for further instruction. They've already got their minds made up. A fool is never wrong or never admits a mistake. And according to scripture, there are two types of fools. There are fools who are wise in their own eyes, right? Who, uh, all of us who who think that we know best, and then there are fools who are foolish by following other fools, right? As I give those two definitions, I know I'm tempted usually when somebody does this to think like, yeah, I I know a fool or two, I'm sitting beside a fool or two, right? Or maybe I work with a few fools as well, or there's definitely a lot of fools on the opposite side of the political spectrum for me. We look at others and label them as fools rather than do what the scriptures are calling us to do and to look at ourselves. 
We are all foolish in our sinful condition because we all believe that we know what is right in our own eyes, that we are all prideful. The earliest example of foolishness in scripture comes early on in Genesis, right? After God creates his good world and after he creates Adam uh, to have dominion over it and he gives him this amazing helpmate, as it says, to love and to care for the world, Adam and Eve begin to act in complete foolishness, right? They're given a singular command. They're to refrain from eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? Easy enough. But the scripture teaches us that ironically, Adam and Eve are tempted to become their own judges of what is good and evil, That's what they want. That's what they desire as they go and are tempted by the tree. So first, Eve is the fool. As she decides for herself that the tree looks good to eat, right? She decides that she wants it. She actually trusts her own senses. It talks about how she sees the food uh, as being desirable to eat. She trusts her senses over what God has commanded and told her. She's foolish because God's commands don't make any sense to her, right? It could never be that he's given this command for her own good, right? At least that's what she thinks, Maybe he's withholding something. She thinks her way is better than the kingdom of God. So she disobeys and she suffers the consequence. But it's not just her. Immediately after Eve eats, we see another example of foolishness, the second kind. Adam is along for the ride, right? He's with Eve when she eats the fruit. He sees her eat and she doesn't die in quite the same way that he thought she would. So he thinks, I'd like some too. Right? Eve knows what's up. I'm going to have some of that fruit and it's going to be good. So he takes and eats as well. And his foolishness is in listening and in following another fool rather than following the will of God. But as you see, Adam and Eve, they trusted themselves, right? They're both foolish here. Eve trusted what she saw. She trusted her own heart or as the scriptures say, she saw that it was desirable, which is Maybe another way of just saying it it just felt right. Have you ever heard people say that when they're making a decision? It just felt right. Adam was foolishly following the lead of Eve, who was being foolish. In, In both of their sin, they became the arbiters of right and wrong. They were determining. And in their sin, they became foolish. And friends, we are Adam and Eve. In our sin, we believe ourselves to be right. I know, I know what's right and good. Even this past week, as I was leading a small group Bible study, I was talking about how, yeah, I'm willing to submit to authority as long as I completely understand and, uh, and, and understand why that rule exists, right? I'll slow down for a yellow light if it's at an intersection that I think I need to slow down at. But most intersections, I'm gonna speed right through it. Many of us will play by the rules if the rules make sense to us. And as we take that stance, we're saying, I don't need any instruction. I'm the determiner of good and evil in my world. And I'm I'm not putting my faith in something that I can't completely comprehend, that I'm sort of, I'm not Lord over. It's our pride that has caused our foolishness. It's our pride that says, I'm just going to listen to myself, right, like Eve did. 
Or it's our laziness and our lack of faith that causes us to be like Adam, to foolishly follow other fools, to just go along for the ride and to do what others are doing, to have no real depth in our thinking. To be wise is so much more than that. It's to stop putting ourselves in the center of the universe. It's to go beyond the simple like law-based do's and don'ts that we try and justify our actions with. Derek Webb, a singer-songwriter, uh, wrote a song about 20 years ago called A New Law. Um, it's about the absurdity of our lack of wisdom. He writes this, don't teach me about politics and government, just tell me who to vote for. Don't teach me how to live like a free man, just give me a new law. I don't wanna know if the answers aren't easy, so just bring it down from the mountain to me. I want a new law, give me that new law. Well, the new law that he's talking about here is our way of following the fools. It's to look at all of those who seemingly have it figured out and to say, tell me how you did it. I I wanna do it exactly like you, no matter what the circumstances, no matter that my life is different and my, my world is a little bit different from yours. I wanna do exactly what you did. We think, man, parenting is too hard. I'm gonna just Google the top 10 things that I can do to make my children better behaved, right? Or uh, work is too hard, so I'm gonna read what Forbes or Harvard Business Review has to say about the five different managerial practices that I can begin to implement to make my workplace more bearable. Well, we think, well, Joe and Jane Smith down the street, they have this perfect life. They exercise, they eat only perfectly nutritious meals that are gluten-free and nutrition-rich, right? And their kids make good grades and their home is beautiful and I know y'all are thinking that's the Leachmans, but it's not, (laughs) right? But we often think, as we look at those families, we look at them and we say, what is their secret sauce, right? Or we rebel against those types of people we, we rebel against those who have the perfect life. And we think, well, actually, no, there's, there's freedom in not doing what they're doing. Right? I'll buck the societal pressures of West Houston, and then, and then I'll have a sense of freedom. We copy others in our foolishness, or even in our rejection of them. We are still ruled by them. They become our yardstick, so to speak, for measuring what we're doing in our life. In our sin, we are the blind leading the blind. So can we, can we actually be wise? Which brings us to the second point. What is wisdom? Well, it is humility that brings wisdom. To be wise is not merely to know information, but it is to understand and to live well. It's not just to to Google a lot of things and to know a lot of things. Otherwise, we would be the wisest people living in the information age that we do now. No, wisdom is to wrestle with the sticky questions of how to live in a broken world. It's to be wise in our dealings, as verse three says. It's to understand our circumstances, to know the way of God and to, and to live it out. So we don't get more wise by, by reading more or by Googling more or even by sitting and listening to more sermons. Well, there's value to all of those things. They do not bring wisdom if they're not accompanied by humility. Right? Even the Pharisees knew the scriptures by heart. 
In old rabbinical tradition, they would open the Torah and they would take a pointer and place it on a single word and one of the rabbis would recite everything from that point on from memory. They knew the scriptures and yet still Jesus rebukes them in their pride and Jesus himself calls them fools in in Matthew 23 and the Pharisees knew exactly what he meant that he was using a biblical definition of fool, that he was referring back to the Proverbs here. Right? They were not dumb, they were not arrogant. Or sorry, they, they, were, they were not ignorant, they were arrogant. And they were fools. So unless we have humility, we will remain foolish. It doesn't matter how many books we read, how many podcasts we listen to, or documentaries that we watch. Humility is the only way that we become wise. So if it isn't information that makes you wise, but it's humility, is the inverse true, right? Can I merely like put my pride to death and like make myself humble and then all of a sudden I become wise? Well, no, that's not how it works. Seeking wisdom is actually a journey. It's a journey that begins with the starting point of humility. The journey is for the novice, it's for the young, or as verse four says, it's for the simple, right? They're the ones who need to grow in wisdom, but not just them, right? It says in verse five that the wise need to hear and to increase in learning. Wisdom is a process for all of us. No matter at the beginning of life, no matter if we're uh, at the beginning of our Christian uh, faith, no matter how wise we actually are, we all need to grow in wisdom. As we seek instruction, as we humble ourselves, is that enough? No, the end of our passage reminds us that humility itself is not enough, unless there is a positive component to it as well, right? We can't merely like refrain from pride and make everything work for us. We can't just refrain from self-love. We have to place our love and affection elsewhere. We turn from self from self-love, self-adoration, and self-glory to worship of God. Our passage calls this the fear of the Lord. It's in our worship of God that we truly begin the process of growing in wisdom. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis suggests that wisdom itself, it's a reorientation to life in this world. He says, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So as we look out from ourselves and as we look up to God himself in love and in worship, we find that, that his word, his law, his commands actually begin to make more sense to us. And not only that, but his world makes more sense in how we're supposed to live in it. Right? We've, we've been living all of our life in this upside down state of sin. We've been living in our prideful state and as we reorient ourselves to what it looks like to actually be wise in this world, it's, it's a challenge. 
How many of y'all have ever done, um, this is sort of like a, a ropes course type game. I don't know what it's called, called like the cliffhanger arms game, so to speak. All right, so the, basically how it works is there's two of you. You have a partner. One of you lays down on the ground. You give your arms to, to your partner who holds them well up above your head. You hold them there for about a minute. Then slowly over time, you drop those arms back down to the floor. If you've ever done this, you know that as those arms are descending, you begin to freak out a little bit because you think, my arms are going over the edge of a cliff. That's what it feels like, even though you're actually coming back down to the floor itself. And that's what it's like to reorient ourselves into God's world the right way, right? We've been so disoriented for a long time that it takes humility, it takes instruction, and it takes worship for us to get reoriented the way that it is supposed to be. To walk in the way of the Lord and to walk with wisdom takes time. It's, it's not intuitive. But we can't just like shift into autopilot simply because we come to worship every Sunday or because we're a part of a, of a small group Bible study every week. We need to remind ourselves daily that we're to walk in God's way. And this is a struggle. This is a struggle for the church. And, and when I say the church, I mean the body of Christ all over the world, and particularly in America. The church has taken its cues from all around us. We've recently bought into this ridiculous notion that the liberal and conservative divide that exists in, in American politics is that same, we, we, ought to, we ought to bring that lens into the church and view one another in the same sort of a way, with skepticism. Y'all, that's foolish. We've been wounded as a church, not, not, not Christ the King, but as, as, a, as a larger church by, by the influencer culture that has taken ministers and those in leadership position by storm. It's ultimately created all sorts of challenges for churches as they've been grieving a lot of, a lot of missteps. We've been disoriented by the church focusing too much on, on business principles for corporate success that we've forgotten that we are a different community with a different purpose. We must learn that sometimes what, what counts for wisdom in the world must be treated as foolish for the follower of Christ. And likewise, that what Christians call wisdom, right, humility, obedience, repentance, self-sacrifice, that these things seem foolish to the world. That Christ the King, we even were reminded of it this morning, uh, our vision statement is to reach Houston for Christ and renew lives by grace. And as uh, a few years ago, when we came up with that vision statement, we didn't do it just alone. We brought in what we call our five core values. And those core values are meant to guide the way we think as a church. But not only that, they're to guide the way that we live as Christians in the world. They're virtues and they're biblical virtues. I want to remind us of them as we go back into this challenging post-COVID world. Here they are. One, truth. We tell the truth because God is a God of truth. Two, grace. We guide ourselves by grace because we have been dealt with in God's grace. Love. We love because he first loved us. Faith. Because Jesus is Lord over all, we are able to take holy risks, kingdom-oriented risks. 
and hope. We know that Jesus will restore everything. So no matter how bad things get in our life, in our culture, whatever is going on in the world, we need never despair because Jesus is gonna make it all right. As we enter this summer of what I hope is a mostly post-COVID world, we need to be reminded of these values. We've lived in a challenging world the last year and a half. How are we gonna respond? With a growth mindset, so to speak, with wisdom as we seek the Lord? I pray so, that we are to be a people of grace and love with one another and with our neighbors, that we're to be a people who rely upon Jesus and who take risks for his kingdom and for his sake. And we're to be a people of hope, that as things seem to deteriorate all around us, we know that his kingdom is coming and he will return. We need to be a people who walk in the way of God, who humble ourselves and follow God in worship. Let me conclude with this. When y'all hear these things, do you hear a whole bunch of like to-dos? Because I know in my own heart that can be how I respond, right? I need need to to figure out exactly how I'm going to do the virtuous thing so I can get a little bit more wisdom so I can worship God in a zen-like state and then everything will go well for me. Maybe that's you. Maybe y'all are like me. Maybe you're just kind of disinterested, And no matter what your state is in responding to Jesus' call to be wise and to put away foolishness, know that there is no burden upon you. There's good news for us no matter what, that though we are prideful in our sin, God humbled himself to be one of us. That though we are foolish, the very word of God came to us and to seek after us. We become wise Because a wise man died for fools like you and me. We may despise wisdom. We may despise Jesus himself. But he does not despise you. He does not despise me. He loves us and he gives himself up for us. That you might grow in wisdom. And find true life in him. So let today be the day that you grow in your understanding. Let today be the day that you become a little bit more coachable, that you have a growth mindset, so to speak, that you grow in wisdom and humble yourself in worship of the Lord. For yet again, Christ is saying, here I am. I love you. I've died for you. Come and follow me. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you. We thank you for the love that we have in Christ that is beyond our comprehension, that you have humbled yourself for fools like us. You tell us even that, that as we ask for wisdom that you will give it, and so we do that right now. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who grow in wisdom and who grow in faith, that we would be a people that take bold, kingdom-oriented risks for your sake as we trust that Jesus is Lord of all. And Lord, we pray that we would grow in our love of Jesus Christ, knowing the love that he has poured out for all of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.